Hi, I'm Janet Silver, and welcome to Road Chats. Canada is changing, and so are the sectors that support it. On Road Chats, presented by National Energy Equipment, we take a deep dive into how the nation's most prominent fuel and convenience companies are innovating to be sustainable. On this podcast, we'll speak with sector experts to get some crystal ball predictions. Buckle up and get ready to hear how our fuel and convenience sector is making waves on Road Chats. As the Minister of Industry, Energy and Technology for Newfoundland and Labrador, Andrew Parsons is tasked with advancing his province's status as a clean energy center of excellence. His mandate letter includes making strategic investments in the oil and gas sector. How is he balancing all of this as the country moves to net zero carbon emissions by 2050? Well, let's find out. Andrew Parsons, welcome to Road Chats. Thank you so much for having me on. Sir, I mentioned off the top that part of your job includes advancing your province's status as a clean energy center of excellence. Could you explain what that means? Well, basically, we see ourselves as being ideally placed, not just in Canada, but globally, as a supplier, as a producer of renewable energy. So just a little bit of backdrop on us as a province. As it stands, we're soon to be 98% renewable when it comes to our energy, primarily from hydroelectric. Right now, just using this past weekend as an example, we were exporting to Quebec. We were exporting to Nova Scotia. So when you combine that with the, you know, the, the new emphasis and uh, direction as it relates to wind energy and hydrogen, uh, again, something for which we are ideally placed. If you've ever been to Newfoundland and Labrador, you know wind is something we have in abundance. Uh, so all of that together, and again, we, we have far more than we'll ever need as a user. We feel that one of our biggest places is providing clean energy to our neighbors in Atlantic Canada and beyond, as well as uh, the Eastern Seaboard to, to Europe. Uh, we, we're ideally placed. I'm going to pick up on that a little bit later on, but I, I just want to stick specifically to the oil and gas sector for now. There's a plan for Newfoundland and Labrador to double its offshore production by 2030. How many offshore petroleum projects do you currently have? And is doubling that by 2030, is that timetable achievable? That's a great question. And I don't know anybody that would be willing to bet their life on that. So just a bit of, I guess, backdrop here. When I, I, I got into this role in August of 2020, and as you know, things were completely upside down then as it related to the, the oil industry. We were going through significantly trying times as we're producers and workers. Things have rebounded since then. We are working on new developments. And right now, as it stands, we have Hibernia, which has been the workhorse for, for decades now, Terra Nova, which is about to come back from a, a refit. And uh, hopefully within the next couple of months, we're going to be back up and running. West White Rose, Hebron, and the big one that we're really looking forward to now is Beta Nord. So it's one of those things, it's hard to talk on one side about how we see ourselves as a clean energy center of excellence. And then the other side, here we are still making investments in that. But the reality is that there is still demand globally with our ESG standards, with when you just look at the, the hydrocarbon density of our product compared to perhaps even in Alberta or around the world, we see ourselves as having a product that is in demand with a strong regulatory and environmental regime at the same time. Why would we remove ourselves from the equation when we know that other places will pick up that slack and we, we simply don't see 
their standards or regulations being as, as tough as ours. So when you talk about the demand, I'm also wondering, though, how critical is this push to increase oil production? How important is this to Newfoundland and Labrador's overall economy? Oh, my God. It really is hard to overstate it. The simple fact is that oil has been the lifeline for our province now since the 90s. Most people know our history as a fishing province, uh, and that literally within a day, just back in the early 90s when the moratorium hit, we lost 30,000 jobs at least. I mean, we had people leaving this province every single day to find to find a job anywhere else. Then when you look at what oil has done for us, I know it has its uh, critics, uh, I get that, but when you look at the impact that it's had on our treasury, on our ability to pay bills when it comes to our, our healthcare sector, our education sector, the social services that we provide, it has been the reason we are still able to do so. We're simply not in a place where we can forsake it. That being said, one of the things that we are doing is looking more and more at the revenue that comes in and using it in green sectors because we see ourselves as having the ability to be a, a double threat, to be a producer of some of the best oil product and at the same time having a wind and hydrogen ability. When you talk about the oil industry, though, specifically, what has been done in recent years to try to improve, if you will, the environmental impact that that production has? Well, I think it all stems from originally, as a province in our legislature, we were amongst the first in the country to indicate that we wanted to be net zero by 2050. Uh, I know that that uh, it was pretty significant, not just for the industry here, but I know the federal government itself saw that as a positive step forward. And that's been one of the guiding factors here. What we've done since then is we've invested significantly in tech uh, and the possibility of reducing the emissions when it comes to our offshore fields. Uh, so we've been looking at digitization. We've been looking at electrification when it comes to our offshore Again, we've put tens of millions into that, whether it's through Memorial University, through research. Again, dealing with the producers themselves who see the same goal. I mean, they, they're extremely smart companies. They see where the future is going. So they know if they want to improve on their bottom line, that they also need to make these investments. So we've been leveraging those. Uh, again, we've done quite well working with the federal government on finding ways to invest in emission reduction technologies uh, using our industry partners such as Energy NL and Econext. Again, uh, just it, it's change. It's been a, a sea change in the span of years when you look at what was formerly NOIA, which was our offshore oil industry, and Econext, which is our basically our environmental leaders. They would normally would say be like cats and dogs 10 years ago, and now they partner together. They work together to find solutions to these issues we face. Uh, so there's been a lot of, you know, a, a lot of cooperation amongst everybody trying to ensure that we get the best return uh, when it comes to our oil and, and how that's going to change going forward. So when you talk about net zero emissions by 2050, then, does the oil industry of Newfoundland and Labrador, does that still factor in it? In other words, will that industry still exist? Yes, absolutely. So I'm not able to share it right yet, but uh, we've been doing a lot of work internally when we talk about uh, the emissions we have, whether it's in our offshore or whether it's in our mining sectors or other resource sectors, and then emission reductions attempts when we look at same thing, when we look at industry. I think we are in a very, very good place. I look, I, I still see there being an oil industry by 2050. 
but I think we're going to be making a lot of headway as, as we talk about the reductions and trying to match uh, the output. I feel we're in a good spot. And again, I, I don't think they had to be mutually exclusive of each other. You can do a lot as it relates to ensuring that we have production, but at the same time, reducing emissions on that and creating emission reductions when it comes to the other resources that we have and the technological advancements. Speaking of resources, now you mentioned this off the top, sir. You talked about hydrogen. Last summer, the federal government signed an agreement to sell Canadian-made hydrogen to Germany. And the agreement, as you know, involves a wind farm and green hydrogen plant on the west coast of Newfoundland and Labrador. I guess, first of all, in terms of the wind farm, has a decision been made in terms of where all those turbines will be located? Not yet, no. Uh, So basically... That was just one small piece basically led by the federal government and uh, the Chancellor of Germany was here. But as a province, that's just one of the proposed projects that we anticipate coming in. So what I can tell you is that right now where we are in this, we basically started just over a year ago is when we announced our renewable energy plan. We fast forward to April 22 when we actually lifted the wind moratorium. We announced our I guess the, the structure of our system, uh, the crown land system that's needed by proponents, we announced that at the end of July. And October 1st was when we had the deadline for possible proponents to tell us what crown land they were interested in. And we really had no idea what we we're going to get. The, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie, there were some sleepless nights wondering if anybody would be interested. But when you have 31 different proponents and 73 proposed projects come in, that shows you that I think we bet in the right direction. In December, we we showed, uh, the province showed the world the land. We put up 1.8 million hectares of crown land for bid. And that deadline is less than a month away. So by March 3rd, we should know who the players are interested in the wind slash hydrogen possibilities here. So like I say, it's counting down very quickly. And again, we're, we're waiting to see what comes in. So it's not just the one on the West Coast. We've had interest in every corner of this province, southwest coast, south coast, over near the Come By Chance refinery uh, and throughout. We, we have all the benefits you need to be a player in this market. Now it's just a matter of seeing what actually comes in the door officially. When you said we'll know March 3rd who the players are, what do you mean in terms of global players that will be participating in this? We've had people, and, and I, I, I used the term officially, so we've had proponents that have we've been dealing with now for you know over a year. And they've all expressed their interest when it came to the land nomination bid, you know, through various conversations and consultations. But March 3rd is our deadline for people to submit their proposal to government of Newfoundland and Labrador for their wind slash hydrogen project. So what land is it they want? What is it they're proposing to do? How many turbines do they have? Anything and everything that we need, what is the financial impact? So we've shown the, I guess, the structure for how we're going to grade projects. So this is very different than what people are normally familiar with, which is our offshore, where it's basically the highest bidder wins. We didn't take that approach here. What we wanted was a balanced approach. Again, we realized this is new. Most wind projects elsewhere are being subsidized uh, in order to make them feasible. We won't be doing any subsidization, but we also realized that we can't price ourselves out of the market so that it's too onerous to do business here. So March 3rd, We will see what the submissions are, where people want to go, what is it they're proposing, how big or small a project, where do they want it to be, uh, what is the environmental impact, what is the economic impact, how many people do they plan on hiring, what is their timeline. All that, hopefully, we will have by March 3rd. 
So you led to my next question when we're talking about timelines. How long then would it take to be up and operational? It truly depends. So one of the big things going back to that federal announcement just in August of last year was that when you look at a country like Germany, they are looking at you know product by 2025, which is not far away at all. What I can tell you is that we've had some proponents that have said, look, the reason we're moving so quickly is to take care of that demand. So there's some, uh, some companies see themselves as being just moving very quickly and possibly in production again, by 24, by 25. Others, not so ambitious or uh, not, you know, not trying to expedite as much. They're saying, look, we see ourselves as more of a 2028 uh, setup. So hard, you know, we, we've heard from multiple companies with multiple timelines waiting to see what comes in through the door, but it varies depending on who the proponent is. You've spoken about a lot of optimism in terms of transitioning to renewables, yet still with the oil industry. I'm just wondering... What specific challenges, energy challenges, is your province facing currently? And do you expect that you'll still have a challenge in the next few years? Well, if there's one thing about Newfoundland and Labrador is that we always have our fair share of challenges, but it's hard not to be optimistic. I'll just start sort of in a general sense. It's hard not to be optimistic when we have a non-renewable product that is you know, in a special class. I mean, our hydrocarbons are in demand globally, and it's done so much for our workforce, for our labor force, for our province. And we don't see that going anywhere. We know that there is a transition coming. But transition, as I try to explain to some people, is not the flick of a switch. That being said, challenges. Well, one of the big challenges you always have when it comes to this is volatility. I've seen just in my time here where literally the barrel was worth more than the oil that was in it. And then all of a sudden, you get back to these times where it's increasing. And, and again, it has a significant effect on our province when it comes to our budgeting. It's one of the biggest driving factors. So when you're budgeting on something as volatile as that market, that can be difficult. And we are in that spot, which is also why we do need to diversify. Uh, same thing, you know, when you look at energy, when we look at, like, I see a, a big role for us. Uh, mining has been a driver for well over a century here. And more and more, we see the critical mineral push. Same thing, though. You're at the mercy of markets. You see gold skyrocket, see it come down. Again, trying to find capital investment here. That's always a challenge. Uh, sometimes it's very forthcoming. In the last little while, especially in the tech sector, we see that people are sitting on their on their wallets and they're waiting to see what the return is before they, they're putting some more money out there. So those things are sort of out of our control. As a province, we've always faced a challenge as it relates to the, the, the fiscal abilities that we have. I mean, uh, we're dealing with a significant debt load left to us by previous administrations. We've, we've had a history, uh, a colorful history when it comes to some of our developments. One of them, again, when you talk about energy, hydroelectric, I mean, we are still waiting for Muskrat Falls to come online. And that, uh, I, you know... I, I hope someday that it is an asset. I hope that it brings us a benefit. But right now, it's uh, uh, if you're looking at what it's given us in terms of uh, fiscal challenges, there's not a single decision that I've been a part of since I've been in government for you know, going on seven years that hasn't been affected by our responsibilities because of that agreement. Just switching gears, sir, when we're talking about challenges, and there are many that would say another challenge that all provinces are facing is the mandate that Ottawa has in place that by 2035, new vehicles cannot have combustion engines. And I'm looking to the next 12 years. How will that play out 
in Newfoundland and Labrador. You're spread out. It's a large province separated by water. So how do you see that mandate playing out for your province? Well, it's it's going to be a challenge. Uh, you know, we I, I'm sure every province shares some concern over that. Now, so one of the things, I mean, sometimes I, I, I don't get too, too caught up because the reality is that things change. Uh, politically, they change. Uh, sometimes it's good to be aspirational and then realize sometimes that reality sets in and may uh, overtake ideology. One of the things that we've been doing here uh, in advance of that already, in fact, it's literally on the front page here today is talking about our EV charging network. We need to catch up there. And there's been a lot of work done in the last couple of years on that. So there's, you know, even there's a disagreement on that. Our uh, consumer advocate doesn't see the ratepayers having to be a part of that. While we have been supportive of Newfoundland and Labrador Hydro's investment in an EV charging network. You know, look, we are a province that thrives and is also dependent during the summer on tourism. We need for people when they get off the ferry to this province, they need somewhere to charge. This is it. Same thing on the other side. Like, you know, we, we have a lot of terrain to cover and we're working on that network to make sure that we have it available. Aside from the delivery challenges, there has been some uptake on the electric vehicle market. So I think we'll be prepared, but at the same time, it's not really a decision that's within our purview to uh, to make. Sometimes we have to sit and wait to see where the feds go and then we have to respond with that but at at all times we stay in touch and stay in correspondence with them and to give them our views we spoke quite a bit earlier with regards to hydrogen green hydrogen will that be going to residents of newfoundland and labrador and is no right now sorry but our biggest thing is an export market when it comes to hydrogen production uh we don't have a demand internally to do that so right now where we are aiming is export primarily to uh, to mainland Europe, we'll say. I mean, when you look at the geography of it and the location of our province and shipping lanes, we're actually closer to Germany than we are British Columbia here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So that's, that's the first thing. The second part is to figure integration into our own system. Because where I'm going with that, we just spoke about EV cars. I'm wondering if there was a push then from Newfoundland and Labrador, if you do have your own green hydrogen, is there a push for hydrogen vehicles? It's not something I hear a lot. It's not. I mean, I'm certainly aware. Mainly what we see is in other jurisdictions, Australia, Europe, where we're talking about, uh, you know, mass transit or heavy industrial usage. Uh, I know a lot of mining companies are putting a lot of effort into hydrogen, their own hydrogen vehicles. I don't think we're there yet. I just don't see that demand here yet, even though we're hopefully going to be a producer in the very near future. Uh, where that hydrogen vehicle marketplace is going to be in two years is anybody's guess at this time. Finally, sir, you, you talk about the optimism to get to 2050. And we also spoke about some challenges. In terms of getting to zero, net zero emissions by 2050, what's the key thing for Newfoundland and Labrador to be able to do that? Again, I think we have all the things we need as a province in terms of the natural resource side. We have the critical minerals. We have an income stream from oil that I think can help to fund it. Uh, we have an abundance of hydroelectric. Um, you know, we have enough here for our needs. And I think with uh, further development, we can supply our neighbors in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick if they come off coal. Uh, we know that Quebec is forecasting significant demand. So I think we're placed when it comes to wind, hydrogen, critical minerals, hydroelectric. Nobody has any reason to be any more optimistic than us. But 
with all that, there's a reality and that is it costs money. And so what I would say to my federal colleagues is that we want to work with you, but we have to work as partners. And so that's going to mean significant green investment from the federal government. If they are going to establish targets and goals and mandates, then they have to realize that they have to be a part of that solution. And part of it is through investment in those. We can't have a federal dictate that doesn't come with the investment that's required. So far, we've done really well. We've got a, we've established a very strong relationship. We share a lot of their goals. So let's just find a way to make some of these uh, renewable goals uh, reality. That's all the time we have for today. Andrew Parsons, thank you for joining us on Road Chat. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen and subscribe to Road Chats presented by National Energy Equipment anywhere you find your podcasts. I'm Janet Silver. Until next time.